Hello and welcome to Crossing Borders with Nathan Lustig, where I interview entrepreneurs doing startups across borders and the investors who support them, with the focus on companies that have some relationship to Latin America. My guests today are Chilean entrepreneurs David Basulto and David Asael, the co-founders of ArchDaily, the largest architecture website in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Chinese in the world. Based out of Santiago, Chile and 100% bootstrapped, the two Davids have built a truly world-class business on their own terms, the way they wanted to, from their base down in Santiago. We talk about their story of how they started Plataforma Arquitectura, their original website when they were still architecture students in Santiago back in 2005, and how they've grown the business to four languages, millions of monthly unique visitors, three million Facebook fans, and over 80 employees based in six countries. More importantly, Arc Daily has changed thousands of architects' lives from around the world by showcasing them to potential clients, fans, and partners where traditional media had previously failed. David and David were the first Chilean entrepreneurs I met when I came to Chile back in 2010 for Startup Chile, and I'm excited to be able to share their story with more people. They deserve it, so let's get started. Hello, David and David. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. So where are we today? Well, as Art Daily, today we are, we continue to grow in traffic, but uh, most importantly, we continue to focus on our mission, that it is to bring inspiration, knowledge, and tools to the architects who will face the tremendous challenge of the rapidly growing cities, especially in emerging economies. Uh, we do that from our HQ in Santiago, but also with satellite offices around the world. So describe your office here in Santiago. You have a pretty unique setup. Yes, well, when we started this, this company, we had this vision of what a startup should be, to have a very nice space to work. Also in that image, there was a pool. So we were very lucky to find this house. Uh, when we started to, to grow the team, this is our second office. Uh, and here what we saw was a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom. This is a house that has very open plans and also a lot of nature that for us is super, super important. We're also right next to the third largest urban park in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're very trying to be very connected with the nature. And actually the other offices that we have also share the same, even if they're in co-work spaces, we look for places who are not uh, an, an office plan, but rather house or houses that have been turned into co-work spaces and that also have a lot of nature. And where else do you have offices around the world? Uh, today we have offices in Mexico City, in Bogota, in Lima, and uh, we have full-time staff working from Sao Paulo, Beijing, New York, and London. Wow, you guys have really expanded since uh, we first met about six years ago. Well yes, done. Yes, thank you. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, how did you guys start this business? Uh, well, one day I was in university, but more precisely, uh, 
It's interesting that you ask for a business. Mm -hmm. We were not doing a business, and we feel that we're still not doing a business. Like, uh, we're doing a project that is a business at the same time, but it's, for us, much more interesting than just doing a business. So how we started? <laughs> <laughs> One day I was at university, and a friend told me, hey, you know David Asile? Oh yeah, this guy with long hair who's doing the masters in urban design. Yeah, he wants to talk with you. Can I introduce you to him? Okay, so I went and he told me that he believed that through information, we could improve the quality of life in cities. Uh, at that time, I was a sign architecture, but I was also very related to the internet, to tech blogs. I told him, yeah, I think that through information you would do that. Uh, we started to, he told me his idea, how he could do it, and, and that was the time when the blogs started to appear. Where, but rather than the blogs, that you have the possibility to, with free tools, create a media on the internet. And I told him, yeah, you, you're right, you can do that, and maybe you can do it this way. And we started doing that since that day, and it has evolved into what Arts Daily is today. So what year was that? This was in late 2005, and we started doing this in Spanish as Plataforma Arquitectura in 2006. And why do you think that two architects still in school decided that they could start, start a project that turned into a business, especially in a country like Chile where a lot of people who are in school, they take the traditional path and you know they want to go work for an architecture firm or they want to work for a bank or a construction company what made you guys different or set you guys apart well as david just said for us this was like a hobby rather than a hobby we didn't start saying we want to build a company but rather how we can influence the city and at that time as we were graduating then we started to teach at university we at that time we were young so it's very cheap to live with the university salary and doing some side jobs, we could do that. And we just started to put a lot of our energy into this because it started to grow very fast. Like, in a way, in a viral way, because architects start to tell other architects that here there was a place where they could find knowledge and inspiration. And we were, were doing that because we really liked it. We started to do the kind of content that we wanted to have access to. Because at that time, architectural knowledge was in the form of books and magazines uh, that were not produced in Chile, they were producing the architecture centers of the world, and that had the issue that they were very expensive, and also that the knowledge that was contained there was related to that network. So when you look at that from Chile, to have access to that was very expensive. It took time for that to arrive here. And also the kind of content that you see it was very good, but was not related to also the good architecture that we are seeing here in Latin America. So we, we, we saw those issues applied to something physical, and we thought how we can do this um, in a digital way. So we saw the opportunity to have a free platform, free distribution, because the internet in a way is free. And this started to work very fast. We started with a lot of energy on it, and the architects started to a very strong word of mouth. So that's when we, we saw that 
this could be going to something larger. How quickly did you start to have people reading the blog outside of Chile? Very quickly. Very quickly and, and, and because you ask this context of Chile, at the beginning we were, I would have been very few times out of the country at that time. David had gone to his master's in Europe and we had a certain view of the world, but here in Chile it's hard to think globally. The culture is very isolated and geographically we are super isolated. You can see our wall anywhere in the country, you know that your limit is there. But when we started with the website we also included a like a web counter, because you didn't have Google Analytics at that time, we started to see that there was people from other countries accessing our website, and this was super strange. Like, then we started to, to, to understand this impact. And at the beginning of the content that we were publishing was from our immediate network, uh, young architects that we knew, our former TAs, our former schoolmates. And it, and it was a Saturday in the afternoon, which we were working at university, and we said, what if we start to contact people who are outside Chile and invite them to share their content, their knowledge here? And we sent them an email to a Norwegian architect. And after a few hours, he answered, and he shared all his projects with us. And then we said, hey, this works. It is just as simple as sending an email. And we started uh, to do that, but all the time sitting here in Santiago. And we learned the power of the email. And Very powerful. Do you have any specific advice about the emails that you sent or why you think it was successful? For me, the, the biggest advice is do it. Many times people say, no one is going to answer, maybe I shouldn't send it, but it does work. Everyone thinks that people receive so many mails that they are not, never going to answer. But the people that we think that they receive most, they don't, and they answer. And so when you started getting interesting architects from abroad, putting their information in, in the platform, how soon did it, how quickly did you realize that, hey, this could be something big, this could be something that could influence architecture, not just in Chile, but around the world. An interesting inflection point was that we started to have this very organic growth, uh, and our site was ranked as the most read in Spanish in the web sphere. And we said, this is very strange because Mexico and Spain are very big countries, and they do have large uh, editorial companies, media houses. So how come this is happening here and not there? Should we go there? Uh, and we started to think about these things. Maybe we should, I don't know, open an office in Mexico at the time or Spain. But the other thing was that there was this Spanish architect uh, who published his first work with us, which was very interesting. Uh, and he, he sent us, his, we published his project on the fourth the 19th of February of that year, 2008. And on the 22, he sent us an email telling us, I'm very thankful for being on your platform because after these three days, more than 14 physical publications from around the world have contacted me to, to showcase my work. 
And he told us later that these 14 publications were from Italy, Japan, uh, the US, and China. Wow, so after three years you were already very well known internationally. Yes, but the most interesting there is that we were doing this in Spanish at that time. Wow. So all this media uh, started to find access to a new world of architecture through something done in Spanish. We're very used to have to translate from English into Spanish all the important knowledge. But now we started to flip the table. It was then having to do the effort of translating. And when that started to happen, we said, maybe we should do this in English. Because no one is doing it. The magazines at that time, they wouldn't share their content online because that goes against their business model. We were born on the internet. And that's when we decided to start the English version. And we went from Plataforma Arquitectura to Arts Daily. And what year was that when you decided to go the English route? 2008. 2008. And were you both full-time working on this by then? At that time, with Archery, we started uh, full-time. That's the time when we hired the first person. Ah, and we worked from Monday to Thursday. Yes. So it was, for the first three years, it was just the two of you? And then we had some collaborators, mm -hmm. uh, but just people who, who were really into producing content, who were very interested in this from a, an academic point of view. But at, at that time, it was the two of us and a designer who wanted to learn how to do things for the internet. She created our first logo. Um, and uh, when we launched Arts Daily, in English, we decided that we needed someone with us full-time. And then came our first project editor, uh, and we started to grow since there. And I think something really interesting about your company and well, your project that is, now somewhat, that is now a company is that you never took investor money. You've been bootstrapped. Mm. Can you talk about how you financed your first employees and you guys starting to live from the business? Uh, yes, for sure. We, at the beginning, we set up like the minimum amount of money we need to operate. So uh, we approach our first clients with that in mind. So we were three, two, three, plus the hosting and maybe that. We said we need, for example, $3,000 per month to just operate. So we start from that point, and I believe that with this approach that we have never had like a very big, uh, how to say, surplus of money, uh, we have been very, very lean. <laughs> so now we are nearly winter and we are cold in this office. <laughs> so I, I believe that um, this is something that for us has been very, very uh, interesting in a way, or for me, that is that we have developed a way to do our business that we don't have very big risk we can grow 
in the world doing what we like to do, we don't depend on others, and uh, we always always manage our cost. So when we invest, we know that we have very scarce resources. So we always try to have our best research, our, our best return, our investment, uh, because it's our money. And when it's, your, when it's your money, you really take care to be efficient. Yeah, you're taking all the risk. You have the skin in the game to make sure you're not wasting, wasting the money. But also I believe that that is something that is given because we are from Chile. And at the time when we started, there was not a VC market here. It's not a VC market now, but there were no bags for us, no nothing. So we didn't have many options. Yeah, I remember when I got here in 2010, I met with all of the investors and there really wasn't anything that was, and was, was good. I can't imagine what it was five years before. <laughs> can, can you guys talk a little bit about the ecosystem in Chile for tech and then um, investors, if you see it from 2005 when you guys got started, I mean, then people must have looked at you funny. I mean, did your family say, you know, what are you guys doing with this instead of going to get a job? Uh, anything like that? For sure. I believe that at the beginning we were just doing what we wanted to do and we more or less what we're doing now. And what happened is that after that appeared like for us in our horizon, like Silicon Valley and whatever, and it happened that we were doing more or less what a lot of people in other places were was doing. So it was like, oh, you are a, a startup and you are doing this. And we were like, really? <laughs> it's fun and whatever. And we. As humans, we have that, that we have to find patterns in everything. So a lot of people found in us that these patterns, that we were a startup, we were the founders, we were doing these bootstraps, we were just doing a, some project that we need money to operate. So in that moment, I believe that there was no big ecosystem, we were few friends doing, like at that time was a niche, there was Daniel and Oscar, that now they are doing corner shop before they found, they start Groupon Latin America, was a Petaceta with Leo Prieto, Pablo Coronel, we were like 10 friends starting sites or startups that we really know what we were doing, if they were work or not, Many didn't, most of them didn't. And there were no VCs at that time, and was for sure not sexy to be a founder of a startup because was what are you doing? Was at the beginning was something with a lot of risk, was totally out of status. Like it was not something that your mother would they recommend you to do, uh, but for sure after 10 years it has changed a lot. Um, what do you think? Uh, for sure it has evolved. 
but the most important, I think, is being to be more open to the outside. Because as David said, in that time it was only a very small group of people and the amount of knowledge that we would share among ourselves was limited. There was abundant inflection when Startup Chile happened. And for us, the, the biggest value of Startup Chile at that time was that they were able to bring a very good network of people. And that expanded the ecosystem very quickly. Uh, I think that we will say that that was halfway until today. Uh, but and now there start to be more people who believe in startups, who are willing to take the risk, but to evolve from people who used to invest in commodities or into businesses that are very local, has been very, very hard to move them into this because even if today there's the people who are willing to take the risk, the big amount of money is still controlled by the other people and you need to find a way into that. And for that, the biggest example is to have an exit, a very visible exit. Uh, too bad that we're owned by us and, and we're not into that game. Probably uh, that could have helped. <laughs> but I think, I think it's interesting that in, especially in, in Chile, but I think other places that a lot of times people are only measuring it by an exit. When if you measure it by how successful you are and the impact you have in the world, I think people maybe just don't know how big you are from here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I talk to, sometimes talk to entrepreneurs that come in and I say, oh yeah, you know, go talk to the guys at Arch Daily because they're doing it from here and maybe haven't heard of it, which is strange to me because you guys, I would say, are one of the, the best, if not the, the top success story of that first generation of, of tech. And that has a positive aspect and a non-positive aspect. The positive that our daily is very well known abroad uh, and it projects this image that it comes from, not from Chile, because you do not associate Chile with tech. Uh, so we made a very good work in branding. But the negative is that here, as we're very isolated, it's hard to receive all that feedback. So all the people who are working here Sometimes it is hard for them to, to physically receive the effect of uh, Arts Daily. Um, because for sure their families, when they see the news, uh, news about local companies, um, for people who work on those companies, it's good because their family sees that the company is doing well and so on. But here, uh, it doesn't happen much. So we, we have to make a big effort for all the people who work here to also travel abroad and they could see art daily from that perspective and it is super uh, motivating. Yeah, it's like uh, we have to do a biggest effort to love ourselves because we don't have external feedback in Chile. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a good exercise for sure. We have a very low ego. That's yeah. good for doing our job, absolutely. We don't have big rock stars with whom it's very difficult to deal during day to day. So it's great. No, it's, it's really good. And you can see you guys have built a really good company culture here. I mean, that's one of the things talking about the, how the ecosystem has changed from when I was starting in 2010 till now, there are more rock star entrepreneurs that you know, I think probably will end up failing over the next year or two. And, it's, it's good to have an example of a company that's successful without that attitude. I think you know, putting the ecosystem 
the right way. And, and also, I like a, a point that you brought that is how to how to measure that you are successful or not. That I believe that for sure money is a easy way to measure stuff, but we try to measure everything by money. And I believe that in contemporary world, we're, we're also trying to measure happiness with money. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that we do every day. And we're feeling big related to that. Uh, for us, it's really important to be a happy company. And from the beginning, to have a good time doing what we're doing. So at the beginning we worked from Monday to Thursday and on Friday was our learning day and we were watching together TED Talks, talking and so on and for us doing that was so amazing because we were learning stuff that we really want to do and I believe that one of the most important things that we have or we like to do in life is to learn but if we measure everything in money, it's difficult to have a space to learn. So in a way, we have, I believe, created a place or a kind of oasis where we can learn a lot, try new stuff, work. How have you continued to do that as you've scaled to offices in like six or seven countries or, or more, and I think you said 80 employees? How, how have you kept that up? Because it's very easy when you're two guys and maybe a couple more. What strategies have you used? That is our biggest talent. Um, we have found a very good space that it is to travel uh, because of the rich Vartalian, our uh, outside footprint. We have to travel. And that is a good time because uh, Planes, there's no Wi-Fi so much, and and that gives us the opportunity not also to have the time, but also the perspective to meet other cultures, to be in different contexts, uh, and we try to maintain that uh, as a very part of how we we project the company. One of the other founders that was on the podcast previously, David Lloyd from the Intern Group has, I think, 12 offices around the world. And what one of the things he does that I, 12 of them, yeah. One of the things that I thought that he does that's interesting is that I think his employees get either one or two months per year where they can go work from any office around the world if, if they want to without asking. It's just part of the, the, the package. So it keeps the employees happy, but it also will take, you know, somebody who's in Colombia goes to work in the Spanish office. and. You know, you get that interconnecting, and that, that's worked well for him. That's amazing. Very good idea. So, let's go back to, you've launched the, the US. But before that, I'm going to try to go for a heater. All right. <laughs> we'll pause for a second here. All right, so now that we've got a heater going, and we're not going to freeze here, and we were just talking about, you had just launched, launched an English version. How did you make that popular in English? Because all of your content before was in Spanish. What were the steps you took to make it go and how fast did you see results? Uh, well, at the beginning we, we saw this effect in which we started to share things 
that were of value to the architects and architects started to share it because uh, they see the value on this knowledge but also it, it is because it was their projects so the architects will be published they will share to other architects so we said now we have to start from zero how do we do it and we understood that it was very important to build a network uh, and what we started to do uh, was to visit the practices that we wanted to publish and to do interviews with them. And then, um, in a way, like the podcast, we had this series of interviews that we started to publish and they started to get shared by these important architects who started to resonate with, the, with their network. That was our initial strategy for growth. Uh, but also, at that time, we became very good at searching young optimization because we we started to use these free platforms that then, at that time they were very good for that and as we did everything at that time i was still in charge of technology i i started i, I was very into the structure of our website and i will understand that i made changes sometimes things started to rank in a better way so that initial knowledge that we had was very helpful for this growth strategy and how quickly did, did it grow? It grew very fast. Uh, the curve was very steep at the beginning. Um, and at that time, we, we, well, still today, we use Alexa as our benchmark for websites. And we noticed that the, the biggest publishing houses that at that time were the main architectural websites, uh, they were our benchmark. And we said, yeah, we, we made the most read website for architects in Spanish. It took us like a year and a half. Let's do the most visited in English and let's do it in two years. It's a steep goal. Yes, and we were constantly looking out at our metrics against the benchmark. And we started to get very close very quickly. Uh, and we passed the former number one in 18 months. Wow, so only 18 months to go from zero traffic, nothing, to the number one in English for architecture. But for us, the, 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 the important perspective at that time was that none of the architectural knowledge providers were having a strong internet strategy because they were still selling uh, physical things. So for them it was very hard to say goodbye physical, let's go completely online. No one would, was going to do that. So we very quickly find a, find a space because there was the necessity. And we applied the same that we were doing in Spanish. It was exactly the same, but just in a different language. And so how fast did you have to grow the team if you went from zero to uh, number one in 18 months? From three to five. Awesome. <laughs> we were doing exactly the same, but and that, that was interesting because we saw initial uh, very quickly we, we understood that it's not that we had to do the double of the work. We started to have a lot of economies of scale doing this into two languages. And the interesting thing that was that we were not just translating from English to Spanish, but also from Spanish to English. And we started, as we were the most visited platform, we started to give a lot of exposure to what was happening in Chile. Today, Chilean architecture is very well recognized around the world. And we were the channel that took that into the world because we were here, we had access to much more Chilean architecture. 
and Chilean architecture was very lucky that our day was <laughs> Chilean. Can you talk a little bit about a couple of architects from Chile that have become famous outside of the country? Well, I think that the best example was this Colombian architect that I told you before, which went through this rapid um, recognize outside of the world. Um, but Chilean architects, there were so many at the time. I remember that, for example, Sebastián Irarrazabal, who's very well known today, he started to, to tell me, hey, I'm receiving inquiries from all over the world. But also a case that for me is very important was an Ecuadorian office. Because as I told you, we're doing these interviews and we got very good at interviews. Everywhere where we go, we will interview architects. So one day uh, we had the opportunity to go to Quito and I interviewed these Ecuadorian architects and I, I had never done this question to someone. I asked them, has our daily platform helped you somehow? And they told us a bit their story. Two young architects with very few built works. Um, at the beginning, they, they did a very interesting house done with cheap materials, local labor. It didn't need uh, air conditioning. It was a very good work in terms of like, this, this is the kind of architecture that you want to see more. And they told us that they had this, they took some photos and they started to read to the magazines. And no one liked it because the photos were not so good, the break was not so like striking. And for the magazines, their business was to sell covers, to sell images. And if the image was not amazing, even if the project was of very high value, it didn't fit with them. But we published that, and for that it marked a before and after, because they started to, to be approached by a lot of worldwide media. They started to get invited to be visiting professors. Um, to do workshops abroad. Uh, the, one day they were contacted by uh, an institution in the Middle East that they were preparing a showcase, a showcase of uh, houses done in Earth, and they invited them to there. After a few years, they won the, the best architecture detail in the world with a school that only cost $200. Wow. And when we started to see this effect, it's not just that we gave them the platform to have a global recognition, but also we made the world aware that perhaps an architecture that is more humble, that didn't fit with these magazines, these glossy magazines, existed. And we started to receive many emails from architects, I remember in the US, uh, from respect practices that, that were saying, hey guys, I'm super grateful about our daily because you're showing me a world uh, of completely new things that I didn't know that exist. There's so much fresh things, so many innovation here. And then we started to, to understand, we, we were giving access to people who usually are in more constrained contexts, who are forced to innovate. And the problem is that they don't have networks. So as we are here in this more constrained context, we're able to, to, we were able to weave a network with them. And because of Arts Daily is not selling flashy covers, we were just providing valuable knowledge to architects. This found its place into the world. And uh, that effect of being a platform was very true to what we initially called our company in Spanish, Plataforma Arquitectura.
That's a really cool story. So, how long did it take you to decide to do Portuguese and then Chinese? Um, well, we were doing this in a very innocent way. We said it started to work as a business, it started to grow. We said, let's do it in English. It was like this. One day we said, let's do it in English, okay? Let's go lunch in New York. Uh, and we were just putting passion on it, but then we started to look at our metrics and to start to understand this world while we were traveling. And this was during the that year, we were in 2010, when we had the subprime crisis. When the world started to look into the emerging economies, but also that was the year in which more people started to live into the, in cities. We started in, to enter into the urban era, uh, a process that will only accelerate. The, um, the urban population is going to double in 35 years. And that growth is not going to happen into what we call the developed world. won't happen in North America or Europe. That growth is going to happen in the emerging economies. So then we understood that in our metrics, more people from this country started to read us, and we connect everything. We understood that the future of our daily uh, was in these emerging economies. So, what year was it when you did Portuguese, and then what year for Chinese? Uh, our daily Brazil was launched in 2011. We also launched our daily Mexico in 2012, and our daily China was in the works for many years until we finally launched in 2015. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages of running a business from Chile that does business globally and in multiple countries? Uh, well, one of the main advantages is that here everything is harder. So that gave us a very good training. Uh, here we don't have access to the talent pool that there is in Silicon Valley, or you don't have access to the amazing people that it, it is there, what we were talking about the ecosystem. Uh, here, if you want to have a good uh, internet connection, it's not easy. Struggle a bit. So, for example, that made us to be super efficient into our compression, data delivery. So that training really helped us. Also that took us to do a lot of travel that create this learning space for us that is super important. Uh, so it's, con it's constantly a disadvantage that we turn into advantages. Being here is it's everything so hard that we have to invent many things. The disadvantage is that, that we perhaps have grown slower than if we would have been elsewhere. But we're also very... We really value being here because being outside of the networks also makes you perhaps think even more global. When you're in the US, the world or your first market is the US. When you're in Europe, it is Europe. For us today, uh, the U.S. is as equally as important as what is happening in terms of architecture in Vietnam, Iran. So for us, every, everything is foreigner. 
and to be in the this periphery of the world gives a very good perspective. Yeah. And, and even, for example, we got uh, operations in China that Google or Facebook can't. <laughs> so we have a different approach that in many ways it works for us. So uh, I was thinking, uh, he was saying that we were, we, that we're outside the networks, but we're outside many networks for sure. So we do things uh, in a different way. Many things we do them in a different way. So we we are inventing here many stuff that has been invented before, but we don't know. So that in a way is a very big disadvantage. But in another, it's like to exercise a muscle that is very useful, like if. Every startup is live alone in a desert island, probably we're going to be very successful because we got a lot of skills to how to survive in a dif di uh, difficult context. Yeah, you, you both said it and it's something that I see with other companies that are in Latin America. That's something that I think people in the US don't value nearly as much as they should is that if somebody from Latin America has built something that's world-class or even something that's, if they figured out how to get $10,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue, being in Chile or being in Colombia but doing business in the US, they're way, way, way more scrappy and way more, um, they had to go through way more to get to that point that for me that's a big plus because if you do start to make it easier for them, either by opening an office in the US or bringing in US partners or um, starting to get big enough where you're recognized around the world, you're gonna keep doing that. You're gonna keep working as hard. And I think that's something that is very underrated that I think has been pretty interesting to see in my time in, in Latin America so far. But maybe you, soon we're going everyone into islands, desert, desert islands, and maybe it's our chance to show how much we have learned. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Do you have any interesting stories about when you started going to China, uh, being a company from Chile, you know, culture differences, how it worked to get started? Our China story is, you know, to do, to do this company, more than doing a company for us is, David told, this passion, but it has been a, a journey, an adventure to the unknown, because when we started, we never thought that we were going to be in China. We started to go to China because one day, I was looking into our sources of traffic, googling stuff, and I found that there was a site in China that was taking all of our content and translating it into Chinese. Uh, with our Western conception of copyright, we started to send them emails like, hey, stop what you're doing. No answer. We even craft, we Google how to send a cease and desist <laughs> form, we send a cease and desist. That if they don't stop in 30 days, we're going to sue them. They didn't answer. Obviously, we're not going to sue some, someone in China. We had the chance to go to Beijing for the Pritzker Prize. That's the most relevant award for architecture. That was 
the ceremony was going to be held in Beijing for the first time. We said, we have to go. And I sent an email to this guy, hey, we're going to China, let's meet. Between hours, he answered, and we met for lunch with Wang. Wang happened to be an architect, master in computer science, and was finishing his PhD in architecture. He showed us his website, ArchGo, he had developed an app in Adobe Air that took all our content, structured content, and put it on a dashboard for his uh, students to translate. Uh, he will even sell their daily DVDs by year. Wow. Um, and um, we told A1, hey, what are you doing? You're stealing our creation. And one told us, our daily is a super useful tool. Uh, and many architects really, really need it, it here in China. But the problem is that it is in English and not so many people speak English. So I'm doing you a favor to read more architects. So all these translations are yours. And then we understood it. Uh, we were underserving the fastest growing market in our industry. So someone saw the opportunity and took it. And they made it because there was a big necessity. So if our daily was not directly reaching the Chinese architect, someone else was going to do it. And we understood the scale of China and that in order to stay true to our mission to spread knowledge, inspiration and tools to architects, we had to enter into that market. So that led us to start working into uh, developing the Chinese version that had so many complications from running a website inside the Chinese firewall. It's not easy. What kind of differences in terms of front-end design does the Chinese version have compared to the Spanish or the English version? Our interface is super clean. That is part of our less is more philosophy, but in China people like things very dense, a lot of information put together. Uh, so here, there, we had to experiment how our version works. But also it is the relation with the social networks because everything is different. There is, well, there is the equivalent of Facebook, the equivalent of Twitter, but they are in Chinese and they are linked to your Chinese mobile. And China also is very mobile because uh, internet arrived to them very early, very late. Uh, and it arrived in the form of cell phones. So we have to adjust to that and for example today we are, we are constantly moving between our desktop and responsive version and our WeChat channel. What's the breakdown between the WeChat channel traffic or importance compared to the website? Uh, today, I would say that we have the double of traffic on WeChat wow. that on the web. That's really interesting. Mm. And so we've talked about how fast you've grown um, in different countries. How did you support all that growth? How did you put a business model on top of it to be able to grow to 80 people and not have to take outside money? Um, this, it was not so difficult because uh, at the beginning we understood that the architects that we have to give architects useful information and we understood that the uh, companies that were manufacturing 
products for construction were trying to reach those architects with very useful information. So we can make that relation and companies were willing to pay for rich architects. Architects were looking for that information, so we just did like the match between both. So we started inviting companies, manufacturers of windows, of wood, of whatever, to bring the information into our site to reach architects. So in a way, this has many different names. It's kind of content marketing, but at the same time it's a catalog of products. So it's like a marketplace where you don't buy, but you get quotes. Um, and that is very scalable. So we invite companies in many countries and it has been a very kind of a smooth uh, business model because it's win-win for everyone. It's not that we are bringing to architects a very ugly advertising or stuff that they don't want. Actually they are looking for that information. So has been kind of a miracle for us to find that relation. How how early did you start that that business model? In the moment that uh, we want to pay our salaries at the very beginning. So from the beginning, Michael. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are listening either in the US or in Latin America about thinking about starting on their own and not raising money? Actually, I don't know how is to do it raising money. So, <laughs> so for me, it's very difficult to make the comparison between both. Like this way is the only way that we know and for us is amazing. It's, it has been easy for us, easy in a way. And there's a lot of people that tell us Oh, you choose the most difficult path, whatever. But for me, it's much more easier to sleep without thinking that I have to give back money or return or whatever to other people. But for sure, we don't have we we have, we have more risk on our own, and we have to take more tough decisions by our own also. Like so. I believe that it really depends on the profile of the entrepreneur. So there's people that really love to invite a lot of people to their companies to manage a lot of relations and they're very good for that. And, but I think that we didn't have much option also. So. I don't know, it really, 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 really depends on circumstances and what you want to do. Because for sure, if uh, we would have invited investors, probably uh, we would have to sell our deck some years ago because we need an exit or an IPO. So our our present would be very different taking another option. So. Yeah, you have a, I would say, the dream of any entrepreneur. You've got a business that you love running, that's making money, and 
you don't have to report to anyone. And it might be weird hearing it from someone who's an investor now, but we tell people that come to Magma, we say you, know, you should only raise money in two circumstances. One is if you have no other option and you're gonna, gonna go bankrupt, but you still think it's good, uh, a good business. Or two, if you've got a business that's actually running and you found a way to make a lot of money where for every $1 you put in, you're gonna get two back or three back and you wanna really push the, the pedal to the metal. But otherwise, you shouldn't. Um, and I think that's something that, especially in the Latin American ecosystem that's just starting to get growing, there's been a lot of focus on, oh, how much money did you raise, uh, rather than how, how good is your business doing. Yeah, but because it's a big trend that started probably thousands of years ago when the money started, that is the nature of success. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, for us, the measure of success is uh, how many people we can impact with good quality of life. And also that is very difficult to measure. So, for sure, uh, it's a big challenge up to now for us how to measure how, how successful we are. And how have you, how do, how do you think about measuring success as a company today? I believe that something very, very important is that we are happy here doing this. That is in my top three. Uh, <laughs> another in my top three is uh, people feel like people that we work with feels that they are challenged learning. And the third for me is that uh, we receive the feedback from our users that is useful for them and we receive a lot of feedback through email or in lectures, whatever, that is a useful tool and we still grow, so it means that it is very useful. So for with this three, I'm done. What's What's something about the Latin American market that's surprising to people in the U.S. or in Europe when you go travel and talk to them? That you know, someone in the U.S. would say, "Wow, I had no idea." Besides the fact that the biggest architecture website is from Chile in a very nice house overlooking the greenery in Cerro San Cristobal. There's life outside Silicon Valley. <laughs> but I don't know, as Trigi told you before, we, we try to travel a lot. And what is happening in China, it's like, for us it's very important to go to China to understand that it's a different reality that is happening. And probably it's going to be bigger than the reality that we see that is being nowadays. There is the US-centric culture that we have. Like what happened with Uber and Divi was amazing. And what is happening with Baidu or Alibaba or whatever is like what, the, what is happening with VR. So, I, I, I don't know what to say about Latin America, but 
What I suspect that is important is to be trying to learn about what is happening outside your own reality, your own markets. Maybe in Africa now, some things important are happening related to mobile phones and not the internet. Maybe SMS is doing a big stuff that maybe is something that is important to be looking at. In, in that aspect, for me it's very important to flow. Like for, as David mentioned many things about China, China for me is like never ceases to amaze me. But as we have, a, we do not have the, well, in Latin America has a very strong influence from the US. The bad guys are the Russians, the Chinese are very bad, and, and this permeates into you. But when you are able to really understand these other cultures, you start to see the world in a very different view. For us today, China is super relevant in our context that they do things in very different ways. They value other things, how the social relations are established, even in architecture. They, they look at architecture. All their drawings are a peer's eye view. In the West is the perspective, mm -hmm. and that makes the, the buildings to be very different. In China, the buildings have a form. That's why you see all these crazy things that look like a dragon, they look like an egg, because they have a different conception of the world. And we say, that is crazy. And on the other side, they say, this is a box. <laughs> and, and to be able to, to open your, your world's view is very important. We were talking a bit before about Colombia, for example. When I go there, I feel really connect with the roots of Latin America. That, and, and even I'm here in Santiago, it's, not, it's a city that has become a very international, so sometimes I feel disconnect from the, what is really to be Latin America. I go there, and for sure those learnings are somehow translated into how we do art today. How about going back the other way? Uh, what would you tell a Latin American entrepreneur, somebody that's in Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Uruguay, Argentina, what's surprising to you when you first started doing business outside of, of Latin America? Straight to the point. And something that we talk also before is like, there's no more, no, there's not much struggle trying to sell something. Like people buy it or not. It's not like three months taking decisions. That is nice. In that aspect, I think this is a very important uh, between this US view and this other view. The US developed the remote sales very quickly. This large country developed a growing infrastructure uh, to sell goods. You will rely on the phone or the catalog. So it's a culture that is very used to buying, and now they do it online. Here in Latin America, and also in China, things are very relational. Like, sometimes you need to see a face, you need to establish a bond. The sale happens in a very different way. So if you, if you start from Latin America, and you start to go to a market like the US, you need to be very aware of how the US works. You need to understand it. The same way that you have to understand China and everywhere, that you really have to understand it because that if you apply the same Latin American kind of relation, you're going, to, you're not going to make it. The same when you approach from from the U.S. into Latin American countries, you have to adapt. For example, the payments in the U.S. credit card payment is super easy. 
But here in Chile, it's very complicated because of the payment transactions, but also here is a very big opportunity. There is a strong monopoly on the credit cards, but that makes that the bank-to-bank -bank transfers, you don't have to pay for that. So now you can buy a lot of goods here in Chile just doing a, ba a bank transfer. And if you, are, you, don't, you come from the outside and you do not take that as an opportunity, you're not going to really enter into that. Yeah, that was really surprising to me when I first came to Chile that you could do anybody in the country transfer the money instantly for free. I mean, we're just, just, just starting to get to do that in the U.S. from two or three banks to two or three banks. But Chile was way, way more advanced than the U.S. banking system and I had no idea. Imagine when we arrived to Citibank and I asked him, hey, what is the option to transfer money to another account? <laughs> they said, no, you have to do an, a wire transfer. Why wire transfer? That's when you send money to another country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. There's one of the other things that I, I think is very surprising or was surprising to me is how much better the uh, Servicio Impuesto Internos, the Chilean IRS is than the US. I mean, you pay your monthly taxes online, you your final year-end taxes are online, it's a simple form. In the US you can't do that, you have to buy a crazy software and it takes a long time and if you pay with um, a credit card you have to pay like a 4% fee. Like to the, there's a lot of interesting infrastructure here that was surprising to me that I didn't, didn't know about that's much more advanced than, than the US. That is interesting because you know it is related in the US, trust is very important and you cannot lie. You lie to the IRS, you, yeah, you got problems. You got deep problems. Here, now, now you don't say. <laughs> but now they, they created all these platforms so you could not cheat. You had to have the, the invoice digitally stamped by the tax authority online and all these things so, so people would not uh, go gain the system. And it, it's important to understand that because in the US you really, really, really cannot deceive people. Well, I know you guys have to run here in a, a little bit. So I wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to talk about on Arc Daily. Uh, what are your plans going forward? What's the next year or two look like for you? Yeah. I think that today we're on a very interesting milestone on the internet in which social networks and let's say subsets of the internet have become much more powerful than the internet itself. Facebook, it is a different internet we would say. WeChat in China is another special internet. Uh, today we're trying to learn how to become less dependent on that and strengthen our one-to-one our -one relation with our users. That means to, to be very focused on growing our, one of our subscriptions and it's starting to become much more of a service to architects. <laughs> Do you have any ask for the audience? Um, are you hiring people? Are you looking for help anywhere in the world? Things that someone should be interested in? Well, right now we're uh, really growing our uh, remote operations, focusing in the US and other Latin American countries. So we're constantly hiring. So ourdaily.com slash jobs uh, is a place that I would really like more people to visit. Uh, and if you're interested in working in an exciting country such as Chile, there is a good opportunity. Yeah, definitely would recommend working here. It's a great opportunity. 
Do you have anything else you guys would like to add? If you own a company of uh, beers or whatever and you want to sponsor us, you are really welcome. <laughs> yeah, you can sponsor the podcast too. We don't have any sponsors. <laughs> well, <Not> really. <laughs> thanks a lot for both of you guys for taking the time to uh, do this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, would hope that we can do a, a round two maybe a year from now, six months down the road. There's so much more that we could get into. Uh, you guys have really interesting perspective in Latin America and congratulations for the, the site you've built and the business even though it started as a project. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're very proud about our business. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really. Thanks.